Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. So today I'm sitting down with my beautiful friend, Brooke Wilson. She is so open and honest in this episode about her journey navigating her son Jack's epilepsy diagnosis. We get into the ups and downs emotionally, the toll it's taken on her marriage and her family, as well as raising two other kids in the process. Brooke works so freaking hard to advocate for her son. She's helping other families, all while making sure that all of her children are loved and living their best lives. She is such an inspiration, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. So Brooke, welcome to Invisible Scars. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm excited too. It's funny. We actually met at the Mamas for Mamas Gala and I, it was like love at first sight for me. It was. Yeah, I loved you <laughs> instantly. And actually that night you shared a bit of your story with me. But before we get into that, I love this conversation. The mom space is like, this is something we really need to talk about. Mm -hmm. But before we do, I love to share every week kind of what I'm doing to keep my mental health in check. And I would love it if you would share with everyone something maybe that you do. Sure. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, So this week, I literally... I'm off to a soft January start. Ooh, that's like, good. So I really, I love a, I really love a January one reset. And I'm always like hot out the gate thinking like, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise every freaking day. <laughs> like, I, Yeah. And it's what the 23rd and I haven't quite started yet. So this week <laughs> I'm just like slowly making my way back into it. Like eating properly. I also find moving to a new town. We ate out. I don't because you guys just moved to Kelowna not very long ago. Too. We did. So like all the new restaurants that you want to try and stuff, we ate out and it's obscene amount. Yeah. So did we. Did we you? still are. Yeah. Like I. So that's my goal this week. I'm like done eating out. Well, that's a good goal. <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Right? No, it's true. But just eating more at home and trying to like feel better. Yeah. I've been feeling like shit. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can relate. Definitely life can be so busy and then you forget those little things that make you feel better. I know, right? But um, I started doing yoga. I had taken my yoga teacher training years ago and I was doing yoga all the time. And then I kind of got out of it because I couldn't enjoy it anymore because I was so stressed. Mm -hmm. So now I'm ready to be back on the mat and it's feeling really good. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I've actually been doing Pilates a lot. Yoga, I agree with you. I never used to be able to sit still or shut my mind off enough to move slowly. So I was like torture. (laughs) So I was like very much like doing hit classes and spin classes. But now that I've like regulated my nervous system a little bit, I really enjoy the slower, more intentional movements. Yeah. It's not easy when the mind keeps going because mm-hmm. you're like, I know I should relax. I know I should fo- focus on my breath. And you're like stuck in your head about the shoulds and the. Yes, <laughs> I know. And then everyone's like, okay, well, maybe you should meditate. Meditating so helpful. And I'm like, well, how the fuck do you meditate? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I've never been good at meditating. I'm actually better at it now. And I do really, really love it. But I, I've said this so many times, but I use the superhuman app. So oh. it like guides you through it and you can do like walking meditations or yoga meditations or like what, whatever it is that you want to do, but there's so many options. I always think about that movie, um, Eat, Pray, Love, when she goes to the ashram and yep. she's like sitting there trying to meditate and she's like thinking about de- redecorating her like <laughs> yoga room when she gets home. That's me. That's me too. 100%. Yeah. It's not easy. I need something guided. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 
You should check out that app. It's I good. will. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's so good. So, Brooke, you have three beautiful children. You just moved to Kelowna not very long ago. I would love if you would share with everybody a bit about your story, a bit about Jack, your kids. Sure. Do we have seven hours? Yeah, <laughs> we do if you do. Yeah. Um, so I met my husband on the chairlift at Lake Louise in Alberta, and that went off to a really fast start. And then we got pregnant with twins naturally about nine months into the relationship. So it kind of was a shock. Crazy. And then I had a quote unquote perfect twin pregnancy. I was as big as a house, carried them until I was almost 38 weeks and then had a C-section. They slipped right out. It was really like seamless and easy. And then Jack was sort of swept off to the NICU for just some monitoring for his breathing. But they were both almost six pounds each. So they were a really healthy size. Both boys. Yes, both boys, Jack and Nash. And um, now they were just monitoring his breathing to make sure that Something, something seemed a little bit off that his breathing was a little bit shallow. So they checked him out, kept, um, kept, kept things going. And basically we went home after three days and it was fine. Everything seemed completely fine. There was no red flags. They were both eating really well. They were both thriving, but we were just noticing Jack. Well, I noticed Jack. So when I was nursing him, we had this birch tree wallpaper in the nursery. So we'd sit there and the, you know, the boys would stare at it. And I remember saying to my mom, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, do you think something's wrong with him? Like his eyes are just doing something a little bit different. Like we called him crazy eyes, to be honest, because his eyes just would like stare so intently, but not in a cute, good way. Like he wasn't focusing properly. Yeah. It was like, it's hard to describe, but I think intuitively deep down, I knew something wasn't quite right. And, you know, you push that aside because you obviously don't want to believe that everything was going fine. He rolled over bef before Nash. And then I was holding him up. My mom was a great big help in those early days and still is to this day. I was holding him up, playing with him, and he was about five months old. And he shot his little left arm straight out to the left and looked to the left as hard as he could and kind of was a static mo moment for about 30 seconds. And I was like freaking out, freaking out. And I said to my mom, I was like, oh my God, I think Jack just had a seizure. And my mom's like, oh, babies make weird movements. It's totally normal. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. But like, I saw it. I saw it and I felt it. Was he shaking? <clears throat> No, it wasn't a convulsive seizures. And, you know, knowing what I know now, there's so many different types of seizures and some can be so subtle. And so time went on. Rob was like, no, he's not having a seizure, you know, all these things. And we didn't take him to the doctor because I didn't want to believe what I saw. And nothing happened again for quite some time. And one of my best friends was having a baby. So I zipped into the city because we were living in Banff. I zipped into Calgary without them for the first time. And Rob called me in a panic. He's like, holy crap, Brooke. Jack just had a seizure. I saw what you saw. And I was like, panic mode, immediately drove back, met him at the Canmore Hospital. And the doctors were like, you need to get to the children's hospital. There's not much we can do for you here. We just don't have the diagnostics. And so, you know, I'm a new twin mom. First time mom. First time mom of twins, which I felt already really overwhelmed because it was hard. It was hard. And, you know, you're always juggling. And we got to the children's hospital and, you know, they got us in right away. And it was just one bad thing after another that happened. Basically, 
long story short, they sent him for an MRI. And unfortunately, Jack, what we now know is that he was born with a rare brain malformation called polymicrogyria. And so in Latin, that means many little folds. And so what had happened in birth was in the womb, um, his gyria of his brain didn't form properly at all. And so that's the root cause of his epilepsy. And kids with PMG, there's like a big spectrum. So some have feeding tubes or in wheelchairs, severely disabled cognitively, physically. And then there's some kids that are very mild. They go to college, they drive, they don't have seizures, which is uncommon, but seizures seem to be the the biggest issue. And unfortunately, that was the case for Jack. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine, not even just as a mom, but like a first-time mom, new babies. Like I remember thinking back to when Leighton was first born and thinking she was like yellow and had jaundice and I was like bawling and hysterical. Like it's that's really nothing in comparison. I can't imagine what you guys went through in those early days. Yeah, the anxiety was through the roof for sure. And I remember the doctor even just saying, you know, he he kind of walked in with all these students and held his hands up like as if he's showing a graph. And he's like, Nash is going to continue to develop like this. And he puts this upward motion, you know, like a typical kid. And he said, Jack is going to develop like this. And I was in such denial. I was like, no, that's not going to work. Sorry, this isn't our story. Like we're not. No, absolutely not. How do you even absorb that? I know. And, you know, and I didn't Google anything. I just kind of didn't want to believe it. And I said, no, this isn't our story. We're, and then he's like, well, you just can never leave him in the bath alone. And then they basically sent us home with a seizing baby and our first set of meds. And that was it. Oh, my God. So I'm curious when you say that there is such a big spectrum of what it looks like for each individual. Were you a, were they aware of what that looked like for Jack early on? Or were they like, this is something that we'll know more about as he gets older? It was never relayed to us in any sense. And so, you know, every time we would go into the hospital, we'd go through the emergency room. We didn't have a neurologist. Everything kind of was like the shit had hit the fan and it was panic mode. And the doctor basically only told us not to let him be in the bath by himself, which he's five months old. I'm not not going to leave him there anyway. (laughs) Exactly. So it was the most useless information. He handed me a little pamphlet and said, this is epilepsy. I didn't read the pamphlet. I was like, no, sorry. This is didn't offer your family like any sort of like therapy or anything to like nothing. It baffles me, our medical system. It's awful. And now to this day, you know, fast forward to where we are 10 years into this journey. That's one of the things that I advocate for is that early intervention and early like connection with other families. But in all honesty, I wasn't, I wouldn't have wanted that. I wouldn't have I was in such denial. Um, I w- I didn't want that. I didn't look up anything. I didn't source out anyone on Instagram. I didn't look up anything for groups on Facebook. I just, I didn't want it. I didn't want it. Yeah, you didn't want it. It's so interesting because when I think about like having to deal with that, as a mom with one baby, you have this one baby to look after and this one baby to worry about. And now you have this diagnosis and you're like, okay, I have this one child that I have to sort this out for. You had two. Yeah. So you had one child who was going to develop normally and one that you were like really having a hard time wrapping your head around this. What, how was it for you 
I, I imagine like when you are handed this diagnosis for one child, you really, really just want to connect with them and hold them and make everything fine. Like as a mom, I don't know if I'd ever want to put them down again. You probably really felt that. How did that affect you with his brother, with Nash? That was extremely hard because I had, I think every mother struggles with mom guilt to some degree, whether you breastfeed, whether you bottle feed, whether you co-sleep, whether you sleep train, you know, there's all these levels of what you quote unquote should be doing. And for me, it was just really hard because um, Jack just needed more of my attention. He was having seizures every hour. And so I physically couldn't be with both of them at the same time. And I was nursing them. And so I had that guilt. I actually had to sleep train Nash, but then I slept with Jack because of, of, of a safety reason. So I had all this guilt and I still have to this day, you know, the things that I have to sacrifice for one, for the other. And you just, as time goes on, you just parent them differently. Mm-hmm. And I, I know Jack's life has been so different than Nash's and guilt on both sides. It's honestly, Brooke, it's just it not fair. For it's you. not fair. It's not fair. So as Jack got older, what were some of the things you started to notice? For myself, I noticed um, how quickly I had to become a mama bear advocate voice and had to find the answers for him because every time we kept going to the ER, it was, you know, an intern. It was a resident. And I didn't know that it was a resident until one of the nurses was like, you know, you're seeing a resident. And I said to her, excuse me, (laughs) I'm sorry, my son has a rare brain malformation. And then he started developing these rare type of seizures called infantile spasms, which are catastrophic for the brain. So most seizures aren't catastrophic, but unfortunately these ones are. So I, I think you just notice what you need, what's missing. And I, I, I like lost my ever loving mind and said, I'm not leaving this hospital until I find someone that knows about both of these. I'm not here to see a resident. I'm not having someone yeah. practice on my son that has all these rare conditions. And yeah, Jack just got in the best hands possible with an amazing epileptologist who saved him. Because mom fought for his. Yeah. Oh, I cannot believe that. I know. I was so upset when I found out it was a resident. And then and then that was just the beginning of the nonstop advocacy and the nonstop fighting like any parent would do for mm-hmm. their kid, right? He just, I wasn't happy with the answers we were getting and um, which was basically nothing. We weren't getting any answers, which looking back into knowing what I know now, epilepsy is so broad. There's so many different facets of it that it's just the way that it is. It's just, it, it's so hard to find the answers. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just so different for every single person. So interesting too, because when I think about like how hard it is to have a new baby, how hard it is on your marriage too. And then you guys also have twins. You have one healthy baby, one that you're advocating for and mm-hmm. that you're so scared. And at the same time, like you are trying to sustain a relationship. Like I can't imagine what that did to the two of you. Yeah, it was probably some of the darkest days we both have ever experienced. Yeah. Really, really, really dark, sad, devastating thoughts in our minds of what we maybe wanted to happen for Jack. And Mm -hmm. you just like a torrential downpour every day. Yeah, I can imagine. And also, was there... It, it, it seems like it's not commonly talked about either. And I'm just curious if there was anybody in your circle or anybody that you knew that even had any knowledge on this or had been through it. No. So you're again alone. 
Yes, very. And I felt really isolated. It was interesting. I had seen a commercial for the Alberta Children's Hospital and it portrayed exactly what we were going through so well is that when kids are diagnosed with cancer, this was just the example they used in the commercial. Cancer is like, I'm going to fundraise. We're going to advocate. We're going to have all these visitors. We have balloons. We're Mm -hmm. supporting. Whereas when it comes to neurological conditions, kind of like mental health, Mm -hmm. it's like swept under the rug. There's a lot more unknown. There's a lot more gray area that people don't know how to be there for other people. And I really felt that with this diagnosis. Yes. And we talked about that actually before we started recording, just how sometimes when there's a diagnosis that you can't actually see, yes, there's a lot of judgment from people on the outside looking in because it's not like, you know, he's in a wheelchair or like exactly. so decisions that you make as a family or decisions that you make that are in the best interest of Jack and also your other children. People are judging you because they can't see what actually is happening. A hundred percent. And a lot of people, it's actually so funny because I think people find it awkward and they don't know what to say. And so it's, then they'll say things like, oh, but he looks so good. Thanks. He, he had like, a bath today. I'm like, well, I make sure his hair looks great and he's got nice clothes. But yeah, I know he looks good. He, he doesn't look like he's had three brain surgeries and lives with half of a brain. Yes. Let's get into that, actually. Um, and actually, before we do, so you also have a daughter. Yes. And at what age was Jack and Nash when your daughter came along? Well, if I could give any parent out there advice, don't have three kids in 19 months. <laughs> Please don't do that to yourself, especially medically complex. (laughs) So were you pregnant before or after you knew about his diagnosis? After. After. Was it a surprise? Yes. Yeah. I always say that Layla put herself in the family because I don't know (laughs) if I would have been able to handle that decision on my own. So Rob and I eloped. We had the kids and then we eloped when the boys were about 11 months old. And I have celiac disease and my reaction to gluten is like I'm just very, very, very bloated and I'll throw up and I'm quite ill. And So So like the early stages (laughs) of pregnancy. (laughs) And so I said to my husband, I said, oh God, everything I'm eating, even the salad, I'm feeling like I'm having gluten. He's like, well, there's gluten in everything. (laughs) And then we got on the plane to go home and he's like, you don't think you're pregnant, do you? And I said to myself, I know my body. I'm still breastfeeding. There's no possible way. (laughs) And I was already two months along. So. Oh my goodness. I love that you say she just put herself in the family. Because you're right. When you're going through something like that, the thought of having another child and adding or like the the fear probably as well of having another child that could potentially have this is probably a lot. Well, and so much had been happening in those months uh, before we eloped. He was so unstable. um, And we didn't have time to do the genetics of it. I didn't even think to do the genetics because it wasn't even on the radar to have another baby at that right. point. And so as soon as I fi- found out, I was panicking because polymicrogyria can be a genetic cause. So luckily it wasn't, but I do know in my polymicrogyria group, there are families that have two kids with the same brain malformation. And that's just unbearable. Just the pain to watch your child go through such hardships is the worst. Yeah, I can't imagine. I want to talk a little bit about Jack's surgery. When was his first surgery and how did that come to be? Sure. Yeah. He's had such a long journey. There's so many parts to the story. Poor little guy. I I know. He's been through so much in his 10 little years. He's been through so much. So Unfortunately, because the structural malformation of his brain, kids with PMG are often resistant to meds. 
30 to 40% of children who have epilepsy are resistant to meds. So we are part of that unlucky percentage. And so we would have a honeymoon phase with meds and you're like, oh, it seems to be working. There are side effects, which we are fine with because at least the seizures aren't as bad. But unfortunately, the honeymoon phase would always wear off and we'd be back to square one trying another med, weaning off an old med, getting onto a new med. So it was always a nightmare, to be honest. And when we found out that we were eligible for surgery, I was like, hell yes, please. You just want to fix the problem. And there's something wrong with your kid. If there was a solution, I was, yes. You want it. I so want what it. So what did the surgery entail? The first surgery... Because of where the PMG was located, it looked like it was mainly in the front right lobe of his brain. So they were going to do a frontal lobe resection. So resection means removal. And yeah, that was, he was three. So the lead up to brain surgery takes about a year. It's actually a really lengthy process because they have to do visual field testing. They have to test which hand he uses if, you know, there's just a lot of lead up and we felt really, really lucky that he was eligible for surgery because it's quite devastating when there's no other options. And so the first surgery, he was three and it was like, this is going to be it, even though the surgeon said we have like a 30 to 40 percent chance of seizure freedom from it. But I was like, nope, this is it. So positive. The glass is half full. The glass is <laughs> overflowing with <laughs> With hope. I was so hopeful. And he did amazing. And that surgery left him with very minimal deficit. So oftentimes you trade the in the hope of seizure freedom, you will get disabilities, which will it's trading come. one thing for another. Exactly. And that's just the barbaric mm-hmm. solution that they have for epilepsy surgeries, unfortunately. And so he had some left-sided weakness because the operations were on the right. He had some left-sided weakness post-op, massive swelling, but then he like bounced back. He was doing monkey bars after. Like he was crushing it. He was seizure-free, but only for four months. Crushing. Crushing. So what was that first seizure like out of surgery? Was it worse? Every time he had a surgery, his seizures changed. So he was having more um, nocturnal seizures prior to his first surgery. And then he started having daytime seizures, which were way, way, way more stressful because you're on a bike, on a scooter, at preschool, at the park. In the grocery store. Exactly. So that was really stressful and added another layer, but I was like, okay, what's our, what's our option? And they said, we need to do a workup for another surgery. Sometimes kids need multiple surgeries. I was like, oh, perfect. We're that, we're that family. Also, you also now have a baby girl at home as well. Yes. You, I can't imagine how stretched thin you were. Oh, Brooke. I, you know, and I feel so bad. I have such guilt now because even my kids will be like, mom, what was my first word or what was my favorite food? And I actually cannot remember anything. I was so entrenched in such trauma and stress and massive anxiety for their whole lives that I just make it up. I just make it up. I'm like, oh, you said, <laughs> you said banana. <laughs> And it just makes me feel better that they feel like I didn't forget about them. My hope is one day they will listen to this when they're like 20 right? and they'll laugh their asses off because that is so freaking funny. And I think they'll get it when they're parents. Oh, totally. You know, because they it is foggy yeah. for any parent. Yeah. You know what? Like, honestly, Brooke, I don't remember Layton's half the time either because I also was entrenched in a different trauma. Exactly. But my memory is not the same. 
but they're still alive. They're still here. <laughs> She's know, happy. It's fine if we don't remember the details. Yeah. Sometimes I have to look back on my Instagram and be like, oh yeah, when did he walk? Okay, it was about 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's, it's interesting though, because when you're talking about this and what you had to handle, how were you looking after yourself at that point or were you? I started to see a counselor as soon as Jack was diagnosed. I had such deep, deep, deep devastation for everything. And, you know, as a mom who gets a diagnosis that their child has epilepsy, he was having constant seizures, constant. Every hour he'd have these cluster of spasms, which his little body would jackknife and he would sound like he was getting punched in the gut. It was no. awful. And every seizure, I felt like I was having a seizure where it just brought me to the ground, brought me to my knees. It never got easier. Through all these years, it never got easier. Whereas my husband was like, Brooke, he has epilepsy. And I'm like, I know, I know he has epilepsy, but I just, the pain was so deep for me. And it, it's, it just was, it was hard. So the therapist was life-changing. Mm -hmm. She did EMDR with me as time went on, as, you know, the years went and passed. But there was so much trauma through the surgeries, seeing the scar and envisioning what he went through under the knife. And and also there's probably a sense of loss for a future that he'll never have. Like a totally. future that you always envisioned for him. Totally. And that's a real thing too, right? And And I don't want this to sound insensitive, but there's probably a sense of loss too for the twin that you yes. like. You feel bad for Nash that he's not going to have a brother that he can get on the ice and play hockey with and do all these things. Right? Oh my like, gosh, you nailed it. Yeah, yes. there's just like a sense of loss on so many different levels. It's a lot of grief, and I think in the thick of things, you feel bad for having grief because they're still alive. So how do you grieve someone that's still alive? But it's like the the grief of the family that you envisioned. It's the grief of the the life you envisioned for your kids and not to have that pain and suffering and suffering like he from the beginning. From the beginning. And so the grief comes and goes through the years. And that's where my counseling journey has made such a big difference because I still experience quite a bit of grief, but it doesn't bring me down like it used to before where I wouldn't, I'd shut down. I wouldn't talk to anyone. Now I found my group. I found my people. I'm on, you know, lots of epilepsy families on Instagram. And I, I, we share that feeling instead of shutting down and shutting off the world. You know, it's it's so true, though, because that grief probably will follow you forever. forever. I mean, as your kids start to grow and change and go to prom and get married and stuff, there's going to be that grief for Jack. Totally. Right? And that's just a loving mom. I mean, that just comes with the territory, unfortunately. Like, it's I, just different for moms, it too. It is. And I, I'm sorry, dads. Yeah. It's just different. I do know a couple medical dads where the role is reversed, where yeah. the dad feels that more. But as it stands, like, I just... Yeah, it's heavy. It's a heaviness that mm -hmm. it's hard to lift. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I know that Jack goes to a different school than your other two kids as well, yep. probably where he gets more support. Yeah. So it's better for him. But that's also hard. For sure. Yeah. It is. And you just, you know, I think one of the hardest things now is seeing twins that are typical um, and imagining what that could have been for Jack and Nash. And even Nash said the other day, Mom, I sometimes wonder what... Um, 
what Jack would be like if he could talk like me and if he went to school like me and and what an innocent child thing to say I like know. I love actually that he is feels so comfortable with you that he can express that feeling me too right and I'm sure your response was so loving like yeah I wonder too me right too. Like, exactly yeah the open conversation in your house is so necessary. I love that you're doing that. Thank you. That's amazing. So in all, how many surgeries has Jack had? And today, what does this look like for him? So he had another surgery at five. So we immediately started the workup for surgery number two. And he had to have something called a SEEG, where they basically drilled the EEG electrodes into the brain and oh my God. hook them up for a week. So that's it's depth electrodes. So you're trying to capture the seizures that could be deep down. And unfortunately for Jack, he was having 20 minute subclinical seizures. So we couldn't tell he was having them. But when we did that test, they were all throughout his brain and ma- mainly through the occipital lobe. So unfortunately, the results from that were that he needed a hemispherotomy. So that means a hemispherectomy would be like a hysterectomy. You take it out. Right. But they don't usually take out the brain unless they need to. So he had the frontal lobe taken out, but then the hemispherotomy was a subtotal hemispherotomy, the second surgery. And basically they disconnected one hemisphere to the other. So they cut through, left the motor cortex like an island in hopes to remain that, to keep that, that motor control on his left side. And yeah, so that made him blind in the left half of each eye and hemiplegic on the left side. So it was his biggest surgery by far. He was a year seizure free from that. And then you know, time goes on and we really didn't want to do the third surgery to disconnect the motor cortex because Rob's a golfer, his dad's a golfer and really wanted him. He loves sports. Cognitively, he's disabled. So to take more of his physical ability away was really devastating for us. And we were worried that it wasn't going to work because, you know, the first two surgeries didn't stop the seizures like we had hoped. But over COVID, of course, we were admitted and we couldn't get back to baseline. They took him off all his meds during during an appointment just to capture more seizures. And we couldn't get back to baseline. We, we couldn't get to that level of the honeymoon phase with the meds and his seizures got way worse. And then he was considered an emergency surgery case for his third surgery at seven. So three, five and seven. But I'm happy, so thrilled and grateful to report that he's been seizure free since the third surgery. No way. Yeah. And so what's that, three meds. years? Three years, yeah. Off meds and seizure-free. Off meds for two years and seizure-free for three. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a game changer. I can't imagine like the stress you lived in every day, oh, watching yeah. it, waiting for it. And now to have that, I, I imagine too, though, Brooke, like you're kind of probably always on edge a little bit, yes. waiting for the next. Unfortunately, epilepsy is such a fucker because you never know when it's going to hit. You know, there's triggers, heat, illness, lack of sleep, all sorts of triggers. And unfortunately, you don't learn until things go on. Basically, you just are always on high alert. There's like this constant fight or flight that will make you feel stressed. You just don't know. He could be riding his scooter, which he still can, even with these surgeries. And he could fall over and have a seizure and really hurt himself. Or every time the school called me. It was like panic mode, fight or flight, because he would be having seizures at school and I'd have to literally race as fast as I could to get to him. So that's taken a lot to unwind. Yeah. 
I can't imagine for sure. So when you talk about like the left side of his body, does he have no use of the left side of his body or how does it work? When you meet him, because I know you're yes. going to and we're going to get the families together. Yes, we are. He, he runs, he swims, he scooters. Biking is really hard for him, but he's incredibly mm-hmm. strong. And he ha- doesn't have much use of the left hand. Okay. So it's more of like a helper hand is what they call it. Right. So he can like lift something up. He can kind of use his left hand, but it doesn't have as much strength. It has probably 20% mobility strength. Of so his- like things like tying his shoe or oh, doing impossible. up his coat. No. Yeah, very difficult. Pants. We can't get in pants that have buttons or zippers or anything like that. So yeah. And that'll never change. That's a permanent disability. And people keep trying to be like, oh, I bet when he gets older. No, it won't come back. It won't it's come back. severed from the brain. Mm-hmm. His vision won't come back and the disability will remain. Wow. that He's been through so much. He has. All of you have, honestly. I'm curious today, like what his relationship is like with his siblings. Well, it's funny because I see all these memes and different things about, you know, medical siblings being so amazing. And don't get me wrong. They are amazing, but they're very typical in the sense that they fight a lot. Okay, but how happy does that make you? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're very typical. Actually reminds me of my siblings because we fought all the time. And I think karma is coming back for me. It happens. (laughs) That's amazing, though. They, You know what? I think the best thing about having kids so close together is that they're really competitive. They're very competitive. And it's pushed Jack to be so strong and capable and able to do most things. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, and on a happiness level too, like he seems like a really happy kid. He is. And I love that you're posting so much on Instagram. So we're going to talk about your Instagram a little bit too, because you are really educating people on epilepsy. You are helping other families that are affected by this. And when you post about him, I love how you talk about how he advocates for himself. And he says like, this is enough for me. I don't want to do this. Like, Is that normal for a child with epilepsy to be able to do that? You know, that verbiage actually came from his school. I've never thought of it that way. So when he says no, I'm like, what do you mean? No, I say yes. (laughs) (laughs) But the school sends out daily emails and they'll say, Jack's advocated for himself by saying he was tired and needed a break. And I was like, wow, this is actually an incredible spin on what I thought was him being difficult. Yes. But he's actually just advocating for himself. And I think it's such a beautiful message for everybody because not everybody, even for myself, to say no, to 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 speak up for yourself. I wouldn't say that's typical for anybody. No, it's not. <laughs> I, know. I have a hard time doing yeah. that. And for Jack, you know, he's not one to give up. So he's often will do more than he should. Mm -hmm. And then that will set him back. And so I love that the school is helping me recognize those things for him. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too, because when I think about all this and you advocating for him and him doing all that, and I've talked to other people who have been through a certain level of trauma with um, say they lost a spouse mm-hmm. or they lost a child or a sibling or whatever that might be. The one common factor, or even for myself with sexual abuse, like the one common thing that everyone has is that they find people often are really uncomfortable talking to you about that topic. Yes. And for people who have lost somebody, they're like, the misconception is that I don't want to talk about my person. And for you, it's like, okay, well, I know Jack has epilepsy. Do you find people are uncomfortable talking to you about it? 
it's an interesting question because I am an open book and mm-hmm. I probably have verbal diarrhea in the sense that I want to tell everyone about Jack. I want to yes. tell he's such a big part of my life. And to help explain our family, I, without even people wanting to know, I tell people. Yes. And um, I think people want to make it positive. Mm-hmm. Oh, you only only kids with special needs or disabilities comes to those who can handle it or they make these unfair generalizations of like yeah. why it's happened and i think what i love the most is when people just say wow that's really got to be so hard it fucking sucks. i can't imagine yeah. that must be devastating or i can't imagine what you've been through so when it's just it's interesting when people shy away from the topic in a they try to positive their way out of it yeah it's really awkward i've heard that so many times I you're bet. right oh but look what you're doing now you're doing a podcast you're so strong no yeah. i had to I, be i had to be i don't want to be strong anymore actually yeah. i just want someone to brush my hair and me tell me it's too. gonna be okay oh my god me too <laughs> <laughs> if someone can come and brush my hair and hold me and tell Please, me it's gonna be okay rock me like a baby <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though yeah. like you're right and it's it does suck. Like yeah. these fucking things suck. Yeah. And there's times where it probably really fucking sucks for your other kids too. Totally. And we were talking a little bit about this earlier too. And just how, what we said about, you can't see Jack's disability. Like if you see him, he just looks like a really happy boy. Yeah. And there's things that are different with your family. Like you just went on a trip with just Jack and he like for time with him, because it's probably a little more difficult, right? Yeah. There's with the heat situation. Yeah. And, and he all of just that. thrives on his own. He just is so different than mm-hmm. when he's with his siblings. And I'm pretty sure that's not atypical no. for many families. But it was just so lovely. He's such a lovely little guy. And yep. then you throw in the siblings in the mix and everyone mm-hmm. melts down. Yes. And he probably needs a little bit extra care, attention, things brought he does. on the trip that make it harder on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So I love that you're creating a bit of normalcy for everybody and giving everybody an equal chance to have time together, but also time in a situation where they can thrive. And that's just the parenting navigation that I think many families would struggle with, whether they have medical kids or not. It's trying to figure out what works, where people thrive. Not everyone loves the sun or the beach. You know, Jack would like that for a small amount of time, whereas my other two kids would stay out all day. Yes. So it's just trying to balance that. It's just in a you know, more of a obvious situation for Jack because he'll just throw down if he's yeah. not, if he's not having a good <laughs> he time. He'll advocate for himself <laughs> yes. and he will say exactly, he's done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. So how does this kind of affect your life today? What does it, what does it look like with Jack on a day-to-day basis? Jack is quite independent. Um, I don't want to put limits on him, but realistically, because of his cognitive disability and his physical limitations, he'll always be with Rob and I. Yeah. You know, a lot of people would want to think differently and be like, oh, but maybe he'll do this. Maybe he'll do that. But realistically, he's 10 and he's cognitively more like a Mm five-year-old and he does amazing and he's incredible. He's so resilient, but he just needs a lot more support. and. You know, even sometimes I'm grateful that he's cognitively disabled because just alone the physical disabilities from these surgeries are really devastating. There's another gal who we follow each other and she's my age and she had a hemispherotomy and she's a twin, but she's neurotypical. And 
her physical disabilities are causing her to have to stop working. She's a teacher and she, she just can't do the things that anybody else can. She has, you know, when Jack has cerebral palsy from the surgeries, that's the better way to define it. And when people have cerebral palsy, they have to work 10 times harder than someone with, with a typical body. So it's mentally exhausting, physically exhausting. You just need more supports. It's just hard. So part of me feels grateful that cognitively, he doesn't think of himself as any different at yes. all. He actually, to his credit, he's, he just wants to do everything everyone else is doing and doesn't think... He, That's incredible. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing kid. And life will always look different for him. It just will. And I think coming to terms with that as a mom and as a family, it's evolving and changing as the years go and starting to show signs of puberty. So that's crazy. And yeah, it's just different. It's just it's just different. It's just different. And I don't know if you're comfortable answering, but like when I think of families who are going through something similar to yours, we actually have friends in Prince George who have their, their daughter doesn't have epilepsy, but she will also be with them forever. Yeah. And, you know, as a couple, there's a sense of loss there as well. For I, sure. mean, I fully know that you want to look after Jack and this is yes. like what you want to do for him because he's your son and you're happy to do that. But at the same time, I can't help but think there's probably a sense of loss for you and Rob mm-hmm. thinking of, you know, those days where freedom 55, freedom 55, <laughs> right? When your kids are off yeah. on their own and you get to finally be you and Rob again. And I imagine that that has been a conversation in your life and a bit of a sense of loss is the only way I can think of to describe it. For sure. And it's just the fear of the unknown too. It's like, will Jack be happy being just with us? Mm -hmm. My best friend's sister-in-law has Down syndrome and she's 37 and the parents are really burnt out. They're in their 70s. So I look at that situation and I wonder what that looks like for us. Will we have the energy to keep up with him? Mm -hmm. Will he want to do things that we want to do, like go travel or whatever that might look like for us? And now she's moved to a a care home and she loves it and she doesn't want to go back and see them. So there's this other, you know, complication that yes. what if he doesn't want to be with us? What if he'd rather? And so it's just this whole mind fuck. Right. <laughs> and then also it is because then I think like, okay, there's a part of you that if that happens, it's like, okay, well, Rob and I get to live a little bit of our own life yes. and our own destiny. But at the same time, I've been looking after Jack his whole life exactly. and now he doesn't want to be here and I feel guilty. And like, I I feel you. And I think it's really important for other families who are going through this to hear from you. Like, if these are things you're thinking about, you're sad about the loss, but then also wondering what it'll look like and sad if it doesn't work out. Like, every totally. feeling you're having is okay. Totally. And, you know, I, I used to work several jobs. I, I've always, you know, I have two diplomas and I was really involved in, in that type of world. And, and now I have lost every single computer skill on the planet and, you know, thinking about how proficient I was before. And now, you know, if, if I was able to have the time to work, what that would look like or, you know, mm-hmm. how different my life would be if I wasn't caring for Jack the way I am now, like if he was yeah. in a care home. It's just many, many, many facets to the yeah. to the layers of complexity of having a child like Jack. Mm-hmm. Would you think it would be fair to say that you feel like you've definitely lost yourself in oh, the midst yes, of this? Yes. Yeah. I don't even know who I would be if I wasn't Brooke medical mama. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't even know what I would talk about. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's consumed my life. Yeah. And I, I feel like I am starting to climb my way out of that and find parts of myself again, but I still 
am a medical mom. Yeah. So today you look after yourself. You're getting back into yoga. Yep. You're doing therapy. You're doing all of that, which yep. I love. Yeah, I have an amazing therapist. If anyone needs one, she does it all online. She's incredible. She amazing. used to live here and she's been through a lot of trauma herself. And she's just, I had one for many years and I just needed a fresh yeah. person. I think sometimes you can outgrow yes. your therapist. And I am so grateful for for her because it's so important it's so important I really struggle with anxiety I struggle with a lot of different mental health things in that sense of feeling anxious and I think just the root of all that is such heavy trauma for the last 10 years Mm -hmm. and now I look back and all the memories you know popping up on my Facebook or the Instagram or of the medical days and I you know we're not in that right now and I'm grateful but then I'm like I should feel better and it's just oh it takes time honestly I think no matter what the type of trauma you've been through I don't think anybody realizes the amount of time it takes to actually climb your way out of that and not to be discouraging because there is a lot of beautiful moments in between totally it's not just like dark and like exactly but you have to give yourself the grace and the time to be able to climb out of it And I think there will always be this level of Mm -hmm. uncertainty and anxiety. And that's okay. It just is okay. And I think that's what I'm coming to realize now since we're through some of the darkest days of our lives, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And you just, you know, this has shaped me in a way that I could have never imagined for good, for bad, for... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What do you think... What would you like everybody to hear? Like, what would be the biggest misconception about kids with epilepsy and families that are navigating this? I would say, for whatever reason, I think on movies, it's like this big convulsive seizure. So Mm -hmm. it's very obvious. But in fact, epilepsy can show up in the most subtle ways, which is scarier because not everybody would notice and if the child isn't neurotypical they can't communicate that and so a lot of families have a misconception that children are going to grow out of it yeah and very rarely does that happen I mean maybe in the world that I'm in because I'm in the med resistant complex world but it's it's really lucky when when families do have that opportunity Mm -hmm. to have a child that grows out of it, but it's not as common. But for some reason, people have this idea of like epilepsy is this big convulsion and kids can grow out of it. I would say that those are the two biggest things. And if I could give epilepsy families any advice is to not do it alone Mm. because it is very isolating and it's very traumatic. Every seizure, every day is traumatic And if I could go back in time, I wish I reached out sooner to people. Right. Instead of living in that space of denial. Oh, I was in such denial. But that's also a stage of grief, right? Yeah, it is. I don't think I would have been ready for that. But if I could tell my younger self, newly diagnosed, I would say find the people who understand because Mm -hmm. it feels so much lighter. Yeah. For sure. You know, I'm curious too, now that Jack's a bit older, I know that he hasn't had a seizure in about three years. How did your other kids react to his seizures? Was it really traumatic for them? Or is this something they're used to because they've grown up in this environment? They were definitely used to it. And I 
God, I do so well in fight or flight situations. It's like the day to day I do less well, but in fight or flight, I have it <laughs> you are dialed. On. I'm so good. <laughs> so I was like cool as a cucumber. We'd be at the skateboard park and all of a sudden Jack's having a seizure and I'm like, okay, Layla Nash, get the camera out, video him because that's what you need to send to the neurologist. And you just- You're calm. You're so calm. And then I fall apart later yeah. away from everyone. So I, I feel like- they don't have bad memories of his epilepsy, of his seizures, but I have hundreds of videos on my phone and on my computer. So if the kids stumble across that accidentally, they it upsets them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah. You know, just thinking too, like when you have a sibling who has something like epilepsy, like Jack does, I imagine that it creates broader conversations in your home that mm-hmm. typically wouldn't be had. And also a level of empathy for other people that maybe isn't always at the forefront in a busy household where kids are totally. off to hockey and off to gymnastics and off to all these things. So the silver lining here mm-hmm. maybe is that you are really going to be raising these incredible humans that have a broad sense of empathy <gasps> for other people that they typically, not that they wouldn't have it, but it's just more bred into them from the beginning. I think so too. And sometimes when I worry if they're going to turn out to be good humans. <laughs> Don't <laughs> no, we all right? those moments. I think every parent is like, oh crap, am I doing it okay? Did I, did I give you enough love? Did I give you enough attention yeah. when all this other shit was going down? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Jack had been, this was quite a few years ago and Jack was being mean to some kid and Layla had his back like I'd never seen. And she was like, leave my brother alone. He's got half a brain, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, she does care. I'm doing something right. She does care. When push comes to shove, they've got each other's back. They They may fight, but I would honestly be so grateful that they do fight. Yeah. In those moments, because they are just being typical siblings. What a beautiful perspective. I need to hold on to that yes. because sometimes I'm like, oh. Right? <laughs> you know what? Today, um, the bird's papaya, do you, I don't know if you follow her. Anyway, she posted something on Instagram that her little three-year-old was having a meltdown about dropping her cookie and blah, 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 blah. And she she had at, at her wits end. And her husband said, well, of course, like this is a big deal to her because she actually has nothing else to worry about. Oh, so this, amazing. to her, this is the biggest thing that happened in her day, she dropped her fucking cookie. That's like I'd be pissed too. Right. Beautiful. Right. So yeah. it's in those moments where my kids are like, they don't have any thing mm-hmm. to worry about. So when they're fighting and acting like assholes, like, <laughs> you know, this is a big deal to them. I know. So I try, I'm trying to have a little more empathy in those moments. Totally. For them. And sometimes my, my mantra lately has been, okay, if I'm anxious about the kids fighting or getting them to school on time. If this is my biggest problem today, life is so good. Yes. Life is so that. good because it's been the opposite. So yeah, for that's sure. That's my mantra. I love that. <laughs> um, I want to talk about your Instagram for, for a minute. Where can everybody find you and talk about a little bit about the work that you're doing on Instagram to help educate everybody on epilepsy? Yeah, we just moved from Alberta where I was working with the Alberta Children's Hospital And I was a mentor for other families who are newly diagnosed. And I was also sitting on a board for just helping, you know, being a voice for, you know, epilepsy and families with epilepsy and just offering my my viewpoint, which I loved. But since we've moved, I can't be on that anymore. But I'm still a mentor. And so that would be for families with brain surgeries or epilepsy or both. And it's been a really amazing experience. And I just... I do that naturally on Instagram a lot. Like people reach out to me, you know, with our community of 
epilepsy families, it's so broad between like diagnosis and varying degrees or brain surgeries or the type of seizures. So we all are like, okay, this person would be really good at helping you. You should contact Brooke or I'll be like, you know what? I haven't dealt with a G-tube. You should contact this person or, you know, so we really rely on each other to help the newcomers. And unfortunately, there's a lot of newcomers. Yeah, it's devastating. It's awful. And I just, if I can teach people about epilepsy and be open and and share, I think it just lightens the load. And I think there's so many misconceptions about epilepsy that if if I can even help one family, mm-hmm. I dreamt of someone like me. This sounds a little bit hoity-toity, no, but like Tell me more. when I was first diagnosed, I was like completely lost, completely lost. I wanted someone to walk me through what would happen at the children's hospital. Is there a doctor? Like, what do you suggest? Mm -hmm. How do you do, how do you do this? And back then, 10 years ago, there wasn't as much involvement. I couldn't find any families. I found maybe two families whose kids had PMG and they were amazing. And I saw how they posted and I I just wanted that. Mm -hmm. And so if I couldn't find it, I wanted to be it. I love this. Yeah, because it just was so hard. It Mm -hmm. was so isolating. I would never, ever want families to go through that. And I've talked to countless families and I I think I've helped a few. I love it. And I, I know it makes a difference. And I know having Jack be an inspiration for many families too, because he's such a unique guy that's been through so much. And I just would, you know, my dream would be to just keep giving back. I have this amazing friend who should be on your podcast who lost her son to spinal muscular atrophy. Oh my gosh. And we were in the hospital at the same time and we found each other on Instagram. And, um, but her whole viewpoint is, you know, finding purpose within the pain. And so that was something I really jumped on and it makes me feel better selfishly Mm -hmm. to help people. It really just makes me feel like, okay, even this is the shittiest situation and I didn't want this. Nobody wants this. At least I can do something to help. At least I can be of service. I love this. And it's so interesting because hearing you talk earlier about you don't know what you would do, but this is it. Like right? if you, yeah. you are doing it. You are working. That's Brooke, true. Right. And you're helping so many people. You're actually probably just doing such much, much more meaningful work with what Jack has than you ever would have if he didn't have this you're right. diagnosis. You're totally right. Yeah. Just don't get paid. No. You just don't get paid. Yeah, right. Your karma bank is really right? fucking full. I'm going, <laughs> going places. It's amazing. So, where can everybody find you on Instagram? Yeah, so it's Brooke Medical Mama um, with M A M A. So it's sometimes people spell Mama with two M's, but <laughs> Brooke Medical Mama and. And yeah, that's, I post as much as I can about epilepsy or facts or things that Jack's doing. And then you'll sprinkle in some wiener dogs and some (laughs) of my other children and some of our life's adventures. I kind of mix it all together. Oh, I, I know. I'm always watching what you do. Yeah. It's always something. It's never a dull day at the Wilson I'm going to miss the puppies. The puppies are gone. But yeah, it's amazing. Thank you so much, Brooke. Well, it was honestly so incredible to be sitting beside you at that gala. And I'm very grateful for this opportunity and for our budding friendship. I know. Me too. It was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, 
You are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week.